Stop. Commercial time. Hey, friends. So do y'all remember how we decided together that 2022 would be our year? Our year to be selfish? The year that we start finally taking the steps necessary to get our financial lives together. Y'all remember that? Well, I decided to get my financial life together by opening up my first investment account and investing in the stock market. Now, all I have to do is actually learn how to invest. (laughs) And I hope you'll join me. My good friend and season one guest, top 100 financial advisor and founder of Building Bread, Kevin Matthews has put together an easy to understand, easy to follow set of resources for newbie investors just like us called the Investor's Toolkit. The Investor's Toolkit is a seven module course designed to guide us step by step through our stock market investing journey. We need this, friends. Well, if you're ready to stop talking about it and be about it, click the link in my show notes to access the Building Bread Investor's Toolkit. And if you use the link in the notes, you'll also get a special sugar-free discount. Y'all know I'm going to take care of you, friends, right? Good. Now back to the show. When it's too late, it's too late. So when is it too late? It is too late to put estate planning documents into place when obviously the person has passed away or the person is incapacitated because there would be questions as to whether they knew what they were actually doing. So when's the right time to do it now when you feel good, when you're healthy, this is the time to put your estate plan in place, not when something starts to happen. And now you're listening to the Sugar Free Podcast. Welcome to the tea party, friends. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea, you know it's sugar free. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea, up in here we like it sugar free. Come through, stop by, get up with me, with your girl sitting back, I'm a little crazy. Ooh, right here with me, it's where you wanna be, let's get it Hey friends, welcome, 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 welcome. Come on in and have a seat if you ain't sitting already, (laughs) okay? And get ready for yet another episode of the Sugar Free Podcast. And not just another episode, friends, but the 11th episode of season two, okay? So we're near the end of Q1 of 2022, already can you believe that (laughs) like seriously where did the freaking year go i feel like just yesterday we were setting our goals for 2022 and we were talking about how we're going to get our lives together i cannot believe that we are already three months into 20 freaking 2022 oh my goodness And so since we did, though, set those goals at the end of the year, friends, I think it's kind of important that right now at the end of Q1, we take a few minutes to check in. We need to assess where we're at with these goals, friends, because a goal is not something that you just set it and forget it. Uh Uh-uh. We got to check up on it. Like Beyonce, like, ooh, won't you... 
Check up on it. Check up on it. Hey, y'all know the words. Don't fault me. Y'all know what the words I'm talking about. Okay. So, anywho, let's check in. Anybody want to go first? Bueller? Okay, fine. I'll go first. All right. So, let's start with the show. Where is the show at right now? Right now, this show is doing amazing. Okay, so as of today, we are 38 episodes strong. Yes, 38 episodes with no breaks, no fillers, no hiatuses. We have 38 consistent episodes with almost 4,000 downloads of the show. Can we just take a moment to bask in that for a second? We are also at over 2,000 IG followers, almost 400 Facebook followers, almost 75 YouTube subscribers, and over 500 weekly listeners. Can we just get a round of applause? Let me see your hands clap. Okay. Yes. Now, I know compared to other podcasts, those numbers may seem a tad modest, but for me, they are amazing because they evidence the fruit of consistent effort over the last nine months. On my part, to solo host, produce, and edit this weekly talk show that was literally conceived in my bedroom with nothing but a microphone, my laptop, a dream, and endless and countless support from my family and friends. Okay? So listen, friends, my goal, you didn't hear me say, and my goal is at the beginning of the year, that my goal is to become an overnight success. No. My goal has been and will continue to be to remain steadfast in my commitment to show up for myself and by proxy you all by releasing a high quality show every single week and engaging with my listeners through social media every single day by posting at least one time a day on my social platforms. And you know what, friends? I have done that. Okay, I have released my show every week and I've engaged with my listeners every week on social media. It was also my goal to reach 10,000 IG followers and 10,000 downloads by the end of the year. And considering the fact that I've doubled both figures since the beginning of the year, I am definitely on pace to hit both by year's end. Okay, look at me. Look at me doing it, crushing it. Okay, and so I just want y'all to remember, friends, that the reward is in the input, not the output, right? Because sometimes we focus our goals on the end result, but it's important for the goal to be focused on the things that I can control, right? What I'm going to do and what I said I was going to do, I did it. So the success is coming. All right. Yay, me. <laughs> so where else am I at? Um, I left my job. And I can honestly say that making that move was one of the best decisions of my 2022. So give me some claps, friends. Give me some claps. Can I also tell y'all a secret? I know. I know. We haven't exchanged secrets in a while. But I honestly stayed at my pre previous job for so long because I didn't think that anyone else would want me. 
listen, it's hard to find a job when you a girl with 50 jobs because everybody's questioning your commitment to them. And I'm like, look, I'm gonna give you what you need. Don't worry about it, right? But sometimes it's hard to convince people of that. And so I had applied for many jobs. And as I would get through the process, they would be like, we, we want you to quit teaching. And I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> Like, I don't know if y'all know how school works, but I can't just walk into my classroom tomorrow and be like, I'm done. And even if I could, I don't want to. Teaching is a non-negotiable for me. So wherever I go or went was going to have to accept that. Finding law firms that were willing to accommodate that was becoming difficult and I honestly started to feel a little trapped and discouraged. And so I had kind of stopped looking. But then I just decided I needed to make a change for myself, my quality of life, my mental health. And so I said, you know what? I want to find part-time jobs. I want to find a part-time legal job. And so when I started putting that out into the universe, look, friends, the universe started doing what? Presenting me with part-time jobs. Okay. (laughs) And so the job that I have right now is part-time and it's wonderful. I only have to work four days a week. So that leaves me plenty of more time to teach and work on my podcast. So I'm just telling you, look, when you put it out in the universe, when you change your mindset, the things that you're looking for start to find you. Okay, don't be afraid to ask for exactly what you're looking for, friends, because you just might get it. All right, so where else am I at? Personally, I'm still single, but I'm very happy. I'm filling my time with friends, my family, my Bentley, and of course, 500 plus of the most special people in my life. The people who tap in every week to my show. That's you, friend. That's you. I'm talking about you. So thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for checking in. And thank you for entertaining my foolishness. So now that I'm all checked in, it's your turn. Make sure you shoot me a comment or DM to let me know how you're progressing this year. Because I want you to know that I'm here to support you just like you're here to support me, okay? You may not know it, and I may not say it often, but I'm rooting for you. Okay, girl? Okay. All right, well, now that that's out the way, let's get into this episode. So this week, we are on part three of our Making Money Move series, and we are discussing how to build a comprehensive estate plan, okay? Because that's something that we all need. Even if you don't think you need it, trust me, you do. And so in this episode, we're talking about more than just a will, honey. We are talking about estate planning, the whole kit and caboodle. We're talking about what it is, what it includes, And how to create one that's going to keep you, your family, and your coin. Because we not working all hard for these coins for them not to be protected and safe, honey. So we are going to explore how to keep our coin safe and protected. Not only during our lives, but long after we've gone up yonder, honey. Okay? All right. And so to help us discuss this topic, I have brought to the Tea Party attorney, entrepreneur, host, of the Laws of Legacy podcast and our homegirl in our heads, Miss Delena Barbie. Delena, welcome to the Tea Party, girl. Please tell the good people who you are and what you do. 
So I'm Delana Barbie, as you mentioned. I I am an attorney, podcaster. Um, I run the Barbie Law Boutique uh, based in Springfield, Massachusetts, but licensed in Massachusetts and Connecticut. And there, what I do is business law primarily, including trademarks and estate planning. Yes, I am so excited to have you here. And I'm so excited to have you representing your firm. I remember when you started a few years ago. So I am just so excited for you. Thank you. Yes, you were one of the first people that I talked to when I was thinking about starting the firm. So it's really great to be here and kind of bring it full circle in this way. I know. Yeah. And I was on your podcast. Yes, you were. So it's so incredible to have you on my show so that we can talk about this really important issue, because I feel like we see in the news all the time that this celebrity or that celebrity has passed and they don't have a will or any type of estate plan in place. And so, you know, first we'd be mourning their legacy and their contributions to the earth. And then we'd be mourning for their families. They ain't gonna get no coin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's unfortunate to see that happen, you know, repeatedly. And there is a way to stop it with proactive planning. So thank you for having me on to talk about this subject. Absolutely. So how did you get started with estate planning just generally? So estate planning for a long time has been something that was important to me. So back when I was in college, I actually worked in this office where part of my job was reading certain books and creating summaries for the books so that people would know kind of like what to expect and, you know, another student's words. So I got the opportunity to read a lot of different books and the majority by women because I went to a women's college. And so I would read these books and I got introduced to Susie Orman. I got introduced to other women in the financial space who talked about creating wealth in general for women and for others, but primarily for women. And also talked about the concept of estate planning. So that's where I started to hear the concept first about this thing called estate planning, not really knowing everything about it, but from what I read in these books as a college student. So I actually decided that I was going to go to law school while I was in undergrad initially wasn't planning to, but I decided like around my junior year that that was something that I wanted to do. I took a year off and after that year went on to law school, but even then, you know, I still had an interest in estate planning, although I also had a passion for business. So that's why, you know, I do both business law and estate planning, and I can get into why I think those two things go hand in hand as well later on, if, you, if you'd like me to, but I still have this in the back of my mind, although in my career, I ended up focusing primarily on business law. I knew that when I opened my own practice, I wanted to also do estate planning. So I definitely studied up on it took in all the information that I could about estate planning because it was just so fascinating to me how you could do proactive planning to make sure that your family is set up so that when you're no longer here or if something happens to you um, and you are here, that they are still okay and they're good and they're functional in that way, then they're not struggling. So when I opened my practice, that was something that I wanted to offer as well, just because it was always something that was near to me and the transformation that you can make just through doing some proactive planning. Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad to have you here to talk about this topic, because even though we hear about the celebrities not having the will or the estate plan, we only hear about them because they're famous. I'm sure there are 
scores of more regular everyday people who also don't have this estate plan, who also don't have a will. And it's ultimately to their family, you know, and their legacy's detriment. And so that's why this particular episode is part of our Making Money Move series, because we need to be controlling what happens to our money even after we are gone and uh, our families need to be able to provide for us after or for themselves really after we're gone and so that's why this episode is part of that series and why it's so important so let's just get right into it girl because I feel like we have so much ground to cover today so what is an estate plan so an estate plan if you really think about it at just a high level it's a way to protect you so you the person your stuff So the stuff that you have, whether you're here or when you pass away and your loved ones, and we can get into all what that means, but at a high level, that's really what estate planning comes down to and boils down to is making proactive planning for all those areas of your life. Okay. So before we get into what is in an estate plan, because I think a lot of the terms that we're going to talk about today, people use interchangeably, but I, you know, we're attorneys, girl, we got a level set. We got to get these definitions, right? (laughs) I need to make sure that people are using the words, right? And so one question that I have just generally about estate planning, do you have to have an estate of a certain dollar amount, or do you have to have something in order to have an estate plan or is an estate plan for everybody? Oh, I love that you brought this up because one of the (laughs) things that people get confused about a lot when you talk about terms is that estate planning like really just pertains to real estate because we use the word estate. So they're like, oh, well, if I don't have any property, then that's like, I don't have to do estate planning because I don't have an estate when we use. And then also when we use the word estate, like I think a lot of the times just because of popular culture and what we see, we think of like this huge, massive property that, you know, is multi-millions of dollars when it could be your one house or no house. If you don't have a house, you don't need to have, if, even if you don't have a house, you still can do estate planning. So definitely that I think is one of the most common misconception is that estate planning pertains only to real estate. And then the next thing about dollar amount, there is no dollar amount that you need to have to do proactive estate planning because estate planning, as I mentioned, includes not just what happens to your stuff when you pass away, but also what happens to you in the event that you can't make your own healthcare decisions or in the event that you can't handle your own affairs, like paying your bills and, and opening your mail at more basic level, things mm. like that. So everyone who's 18 and above who has capacity should have an estate plan put into place so that they can make those uh, decisions ahead of time. It has nothing to do with a particular dollar amount or having a particular property size or anything like that. Oh, I'm so glad you said this. Can I, can I make a confession on the sugar-free podcast? Right sure, go ahead. <laughs> Girl, oh, I feel so Oh, so ashamed. But you know what? This is all about being sugar free. So I'm going to just put it out there. Girl, I do not have an estate plan. Oh, I don't. We have to change that. I know. And I have. And I'm an attorney and I've dabbled in estate planning. I've drafted wills for other people and I don't have one because I feel like girl, I know don't look at me like that oh she looked at me <laughs> y'all can't see her face when she looked at me I had to do the glare <laughs> Well, because I feel like I've always thought and I I'm sure this is just 
terrible. So even as attorneys, like we're still people, like we still, you know, like don't always advocate or do for ourselves what we do for other people. And in my mind, I always thought that I'm young. I don't really have a ton of stuff. Uh, do I really need a will? <laughs> but I guess so. <laughs> yes, you definitely need to get that in place like yesterday, um, for sure to have done for you. And um, I don't know if it's too early to jump into it. But when I talk about incapacity planning, like right now, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And when you think about that, for example, a lot of times people think like, well, my parent will automatically be able to make healthcare decisions or my spouse or some other loved one might automatically be able to make decisions. And actually I'll take a step back just as my disclaimer, this is not legal advice and estate planning and all this stuff depends on where you live, depends on your specific situation. So this is educational only. Um, so when I talk about this, I'm talking broadly, things may be different in your state or might be different for you particularly if you have questions, go seek counsel. <laughs> so I'll anyway. put your disclaimer in the show notes too. Yes, please good. do. <laughs> we got you covered. <laughs> Thank you. I know you'll write a good one because you're a lawyer too. <laughs> well, yeah. But, so, okay. Yeah, go ahead. So as I was saying with that, people think like automatically these particular people will be able to jump in and make healthcare decisions. If I end up in the hospital and they will have the right to do it, but not and not really, they still have to also seek permission, which may then require, obviously, for them to have to go through a court process in order to get permission in order to make a healthcare decision while you or whoever we're talking about is going through some type of traumatic experience at that time. So they're grieving or upset over what's going on. And then they're also having to go through this legal process to get the right to be able to make healthcare decisions. Um, and the same thing for financial decisions. Even if you think, well, that'll be fine. Then there could be potential conflict in families when there's more than one person who wanted, wants to do it. So while you might have said, well, I know I want my sister to do it. The sister comes and brother comes and then mom comes and everyone's trying to make the decisions and they're not agreeing. So you're also possibly leaving that open to conflict. So court involvement, you know, conflict, we want to be able to reduce that and we can reduce that through proactive planning. And again, none of this I'm talking about requires any dollar amount. It just requires that you have a body and you be a person as an adult <laughs> who needs someone to step in and make those decisions for you or help you. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to go into next what's part of an estate plan. So why don't we just start with this, whatever document we need in order to have our medical wishes carried out um, while we're alive. So what document do we need to accomplish what we what you just mentioned with making sure that whatever wishes you have for the care um, medically for your body to be carried out in the event that you're incapacitated? Because the thing that I think was so jarring to me about what you just said is that I think that people always think of this type of planning as planning that happens for if you die, right? But what you're talking about is a scenario where you're incapacitated and you're still alive though, right? You just have no ability or cognition to be able to make decisions for yourself. And in that situation, somebody's gonna have to be able to make those decisions for you and you want them to be making the right ones. So what document do we need in order to have this part of our estate plan taken care of? 
So there can be a few things. Sometimes they're combined. Sometimes they're separate. But the first thing would be a healthcare power of, of attorney. Sometimes they're called different things, but essentially it's a healthcare power of attorney. And that is that you are putting in an agent. That's another person who stands in your place to be able to make healthcare decisions on your behalf. So you can name an agent, you can name alternatives in case that person is unable to serve for whatever reason, um, but you would name someone who can make the healthcare decisions on your behalf in the event that you're incapacitated. Then you would have a HIPAA release, which would allow for the agent, of course, to be able to access your medical records in order to make an informed decision on your behalf. What does um, HIPAA stand for? Healthcare Information Portability and Accountability Act. Okay. And so that just has to do with the release of our information. Yes. Yeah, so um, the HIPAA standards basically protect someone's health information, protected health information. Um, so for example, so the hospital can't just release your information to just anyone. Um, which is why someone who doesn't have the authorization in advance would have to go through a process in order to get that authorization. If you have the HIPAA release in advance, then that means that the person you've already authorized while you were okay um, to access those medical records. You can actually, for your HIPAA release, have more people on it than just the agent. So for example, let's say you're someone who has multiple adult children and you want all of them to be able to access your medical records, but only one particular child might be the one who's the actual agent. That's fine too. You could have a HIPAA release that allows for all the children to know, but that one child would have be the agent underneath the power of attorney to actually make the decisions if, if you so choose to have that structure. Mm. Uh, and then the last thing that some people will also have is an advanced healthcare directive. Sometimes it's called a living will. I don't like that term because living will gets a little bit confused with will going back to when we talked about terminology. So sometimes people get confused between that, but essentially an advanced healthcare directive is a document where you can state what your wishes are in the event that you become, you know, in a situation where you're unable to recover. There's some people put other information in there for healthcare decisions that they want ahead of time. It's not legally enforceable everywhere. So that's important to know. You might want to find out about your state to see if it's actually legally enforceable, but it could still be good guidance to have uh, for the medical facility treating you. And then also for the person who is your agent underneath your power of attorney to know when they have to make some tough decisions that this is in line with you, what you would have wanted. So even if it's not legally enforceable, it may still be a good tool, a good instrument to have put into place as part of your estate plan on the healthcare section. Just to provide people with some guidance. So in case yeah. they were like, oh, I don't know what she want or she want this, at least even if the state doesn't honor it, they can say, okay, well, this is what she said she wanted. So exactly. I do like, so just to, to recap, so we need a healthcare power of attorney and that designates an individual as our agent. And then we need the HIPAA release and that gives our loved ones access to our medical records. And then we need our healthcare directive or advanced healthcare directive that states our wishes to our loved ones for what we want to happen to us in the event that we become incapacitated. Exactly. Okay. See, I'm keeping up. I'm keeping up. Yeah, I'm keeping up. You gotta know exactly <laughs> what you need to draft. 
<laughs> yes. Well, I think in Georgia, and so as you mentioned, it's different in every state. So this is just generally what you should be looking for to potentially have. But I think in Georgia that some of those documents are combined. And mm-hmm. so you can have one document that outlines all of those things. And so it depends on your state, but at least this gives people a framework for what powers they need to have and what powers they need to grant. So if you can, you know what I mean? If your state allows for all of these things to exist in one document, the document should at very least designate a person, grant access to medical records and state what your wishes are. Exactly. And for the ones where I've seen it all combined, there's usually section headings. So you can see very clearly just to make sure that everything you need to have in there is there. If there is something missing, then you just get a standalone document, you know, created for you in that respect. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. All right. I need, I at least need to get that. (laughs) Yes. At least that. that. Oh Lord, girl, don't judge me. Don't judge me. So besides that piece of it, what else should we have in our state plans? So also underneath incapacity planning would be a general power of attorney. So that general power of attorney would be a power of attorney that's in place to allow you to designate an agent to handle your affairs. So when I say you handle your affairs, the stuff that you do all the time, as I mentioned, so that could be paying bills. If you have a rental property, that could be collecting rent. If you have a business, it might be that they're able to operate your business. Um, Mm -hmm. Powers of attorney can be drafted as broadly or as narrow as you and the attorney decide to to draft it. Um, So that is one thing to keep in mind. But since most people will do a broader power of attorney in that respect, just because they want to be sure that their bases are covered in case something happens that someone has as many rights as possible that at least the client feels comfortable giving up. You might be concerned though, like, well, if I give a power of attorney to someone, can't they just start doing things? Can't they just go to my bank now and start to wipe me out or something? First of all, you should not pick an agent who you think is going to wipe you out. So that's one. (laughs) That's number one. We definitely, when I meet with people, we sit down and we talk about like, does it really make sense for this person to do it? You know, are they good with their own money? That sort of thing. Do they pay their bills on time? We have to have those conversations. So that's number one. Number two is that the power of attorney does not have to be effective immediately. So some people will do a power of attorney that's effective immediately. Most of the time where I see that happen is people who might be older, who they don't go out for whatever reason, they're not like going out at this time as much. Um, They might have an older adult child who's kind of handling their affairs at this point based upon their stage in life. And so they might do a power of attorney that's effective immediately so that their adult child can just handle what needs to be handled so that they don't have to go out as much. Um, in that case, or maybe someone who has some other limitations might do that ahead of time. But for the vast majority of people who might be like, well, I'm okay now. And I don't want anyone to have the right to do anything on my behalf right now. We can actually put language in to be sure that the power of attorney doesn't become effective until you become incapacitated. So you can Mm. feel comfortable right now, granting those rights to your agent, but making sure that the power of attorney says that this goes into effect when you're incapacitated. And I won't get into all the definitions of incapacity here, but just that will be drafted in there what incapacity means and your attorney will go over what incapacity means and you can make sure that you feel comfortable with the definition. 
Mm, this is so important. Like, I know that it can be difficult to talk about these kinds of things and have these conversations with your loved ones. But this is so important because it's not something you think about, right? Like if you're in the hospital and you're sick and you can't act on your own behalf and let's say you're not married, right? So you don't necessarily have someone who may already have access to your accounts. Like who's going to keep paying the mortgage on your house so that you can continue to live or have a home to come home to whenever you get out or even, you know, to ensure that you're able to get the care that you need, because sometimes your family doesn't have it and they're going to be trying to pull from your bank account to take care of you. And I remember specifically my grandmother had Alzheimer's. And so luckily they had the power of attorney in place so that my mom could continue to make sure that she was able to pay her bills and, you know, have care provided for her because we couldn't afford to pay for her to have an uh, assistant living things. But my grandma had a pension. And so it gave my mom access to her pension so that she could continue to pay for her to get the care that she needed, make sure she had the medicines that she needed and all that was paid for. And so unfortunately, I feel like it's something that you don't think about until it's too late, until the writing is on the wall, until the thing happens. And even with that happening with my grandma, I still didn't think in my mind, like, oh, I need to have this in place, you know, but it, it is. And we were just so incredibly lucky that it was in place by time she lost, you know, most of her cognition, because if it wasn't, it would have been very difficult for us to be able to take care of her. And so, like I said, I just think it's, it's something we don't think about until it's too late, but by time it's too late, it's too late. You brought up a really good point when it's too late, it's too late. So when is it too late? It is too late to put estate planning documents into place when obviously the person has passed away or the person is incapacitated because there would be questions as to whether they knew what they were actually doing. So when's the right time to do it now when you feel good, when you're healthy, this is the time to put your estate plan in place, not when something starts to happen. So a follow-up question about designating the agent, because you mentioned the importance of designating somebody that you trust to take care of you, because, you know, that that's important, too, because everybody ain't able, okay? Sometimes you can't even put rely on your mama. If she's not paying her bills on time, everybody, it ain't everybody's ministry, right? And so let's say I make a miraculous recovery. I'm in a coma the healthcare directive, power of attorney was in place. They took care of me. Now I'm able to take care of myself again. Does that agency relationship terminate automatically once I'm, you know, able to take care of myself again? Or do I have to take some step to get to revoke that or to get my agency back? So your power of attorney would still be in place. The power of attorney itself is not terminated, but the fact that that person was is your agent is now terminated unless you do another power of attorney and allow them, you know, to stay on or you never had the incapacity provision and you just had them there as the agent, then they would continue because you allowed that. Otherwise, they no, are no longer your agent, but the power of attorney itself is still in place in case, you know, something happens again. Okay, good. So I don't have to worry about them still accessing my bank accounts when I'm good, alive and walking around. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, what, what did they say? All 
kinfolk ain't skin folk, or am I getting it mixed up? <laughs> I think it's <laughs> around, but that's fine. That's fine. And if you want to make sure you call, you call all your accounts and let them know I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> oh yes, girl. Oh, listen, I'm thinking right now, like. You know, I know that I have a lot of people in my family that I could trust, but sometimes, you know, people get greedy. Not that I have anything to take, but just, you know, I want all my two pennies, child. So, <laughs> so what else should we have in our estate plan? Or is that pretty much it? Or what, what else do we need? So that's on the all on the incapacity side, although we will get into trust, which can also function in incapacity in a moment. Uh, what we also want is a will in place. And most people, when they think of an estate plan, they think of a will, like that's the end all be all, or people will say, I have a will. So I have an estate plan. As you just heard, that's not a complete comprehensive estate plan, but you do want a will. Now, what is a will and what does it do? A will allows for you to designate who will be your personal representative in probate court or your states, I should say, personal representative in probate court. So someone to designate Um, someone who you would designate to be in charge. And again, you can have backups in case that person is not able to do it at this time. In some states, you can allow for co-personal representatives. So there could be more than one person if you think that you want more than one person to handle that. And in addition, what a will does is allow you to distribute your assets out. So you might distribute assets to whomever in your family, to friends, um, to charity, It doesn't have to be a person that you designated out to, but that is what it is. It's a distribution document, essentially. It allows for you to make clear what the distribution of your assets are. But as you heard me say, it does not avoid probate. It is still going to go through the probate court process, which the probate court process is basically the process to settle your estate once um, you've passed away and your estate is going through that to get everything that you own out to wherever it needs to be. If you don't have a will, you will pass away what's called intestate because you don't have that in place. And whatever your state laws are will govern what happens to your stuff, essentially. And when you think about state laws, they're creating it for the masses, as we know. So they kind of come up with an idea or came up with an idea of what they think most people would have wanted or want in their estate plan. It's Probably not going to get to your best friend, though, if that's who you wanted to give something to. It's not going to necessarily get to your long-term partner um, who you might never have married, but you've been with for many years. It's not necessarily going to get to that charity that you wanted to give all of your things to. So it's going to be very limited in how they distribute it. And it may not go to who you want, even if it's within your family, right? So your will, even though it does go through the probate court process, will allow for you to make a lot more or have a lot more control over where your things go once you pass away. It's also important to know that your will doesn't come into place until you've passed away. Mm -hmm. So what some people have done in the past is something happens to their family member. And for example, they want to access their bank account. I was talking to someone who was telling me about this, uh, who works at a bank, and the family member came with the will and said, hey, this person's in the hospital. Look, I'm the personal representative. And they had to be told, well, no, you need a power of attorney or you need authority you know, through court to be able to access this bank account. That's not going to do it. So the will comes into effect once the person has passed away. And that's what that is for. Gotcha. Okay. So I have so many, so many questions we, we got to unpack. 
So first question, based on how you've described a will, it sounds like you need assets to distribute in order for the will to direct the assets to go to the correct people. So let's say I'm young. I don't own a home. I maybe own a dog, uh, maybe half a car because I'm still paying it <laughs> off and some shoes. Like, really, I don't own much. <laughs> Is it still a good investment of my resources to get a will? A basic will could still be useful because number one, you don't know what you're going to have on the day you pass away. So you might say right now, like, I don't have this. I don't have that, but you don't know what you're going to have at this time at that time. And your little, whatever you have, your little dog, your little, whatever <laughs> car, you could still put that in there um, and designate those things. So it's a good practice to even just have a basic will. It doesn't have to be anything complicated. And with that, if you're thinking, well, how much money am I going to have to spend? You know, if it's just a really basic will, along with your incapacity documents, it's probably going to, it's going to be far less than, you know, some of the things we're going to talk about, like a trust plan, which gets a little bit, can get a little bit more um, pricey because it's more complex and more control over what happens. But at the basic level, there's nothing wrong with getting a standard kind of high, um, general will that you could put into place so that you have that in place just in case you do get more. You never know. And then you could also designate where those things go to because even those, whatever you have may not, you know, you may not want it to go where the default is. Like I said, you might have a long-term partner and you're saying, well, I want my long-term partner to your point about being young. You know, they might not be married yet. I want my long-term partner to get all these things that I have, you know, he or she bought the puppy with me <laughs> and that's who should get the puppy. Like designate that in advance. There's nothing wrong with that. Even if you don't have a ton. Okay. Okay. Well, in that same example, Let's say I own a home in my name or even a car, but I'm still making payments on it. How does that pass to the next person? Like, do they just assume the payments? Is that something that I can even put in a will because I don't technically own it outright? Like, how does the transfer of assets that I don't fully own work? So through... In terms of assets that you don't fully own, you would still put that, I mean, let me just take a step back. If you don't fully own the assets that you have, there's no reason why you still wouldn't put an estate plan in place. To me, that would be more of an excuse because you do have equity in whatever it is anyway. So maybe it passes and then the person decides to sell it and they sell it, they kind of pay off the mortgage, whatever happens to whatever money that's left over gets distributed according to what you want. Um, there could be a number of different things that happen. I'm not a probate attorney, so I don't do the probate part of things a lot. So that process is something I, I don't get involved in too much just because I don't <laughs> like court stuff. I like the part of putting things together. I don't like the part of potential disputes. Um, that's not for me, but that is an option because they could definitely sell and then pay off the mortgage and then have, you know, whatever was left over as the equity, maybe, that someone continues to pay and keep the home. Um, but your options there, I would definitely talk to someone who does probate in order to see what other options you might have. Gotcha. So you can put things that you don't own outright in the will and they can still pass to people after you die. Yes. Okay. That's good to know. That's good to know, yes. right? Well, I will take a step back too and so and say that if you have expenses that need to be paid, then those expenses mm -hmm. do need to be paid. So if there are loans and things, expenses still have to be paid off 
but there could be many ways because you might have other assets that allow you to pay off different loans that might still be outstanding. Gotcha. Well, I'm not going to put that in my will, mama. So just in case something happened to me, <laughs> let the courts <laughs> figure out who go pay it. I won't, I won't make you pay it. <laughs> so my other question about how you describe the will and like the probate process is what happens in the probate process, if I have a will, like, what's the point of it? Like, why don't we just say, okay, she has a will, let's distribute the assets based on the will. Like, why does it still go through the probate process? Um, so it still goes through the probate process because all you're doing with that is designating who's in charge of probate and where the things go. The probate court process still has to happen to facilitate the actual transfer of the assets. Gotcha. Okay. So there's no avoiding that. However, in some states, depending on what you have, there can be a quicker probate process. So if in your examples of, well, if I don't have a ton, is it going to be this long drawn out process? Not necessarily. Sometimes if your assets fall under a certain dollar amount, then it can be a more expedient process. Okay. And then like, also during that process, I'm guessing that if there's any challenge to the validity of the will, it would happen at that time too. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that happens in probate court too, which is why I'm like, <laughs> not, not the fun part for me, but yeah. So people can come up and challenge the will. It's a, it's public. So because it's a court process, it's going to be a public process. The will is going to be on file. Everyone can see, um, and someone could, can challenge it. There is language that we put in will sometimes to say, Hey, well, if you can test it, this is what'll happen. Basically you'd be cut out of whatever you are going to receive. If you decide to challenge it, like, for example, if someone's like, well, I deserve more, you know, my family member didn't know what they were saying and all this stuff. Okay. You can challenge it, but you're going to be cut out of the will. It's it's a no contest clause. So yeah, but that happens there. Cut them out. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So I don't do probate either, but as an entertainment attorney, I ironically have had some experience with probate when a famous person dies and we're trying to exploit the intellectual property or the music catalog, we have to wait for the probate part of the process to kind of settle. And I have seen from that aspect, things get very nasty with these families. And I wish they had had some no contest clock like that would have made things a whole lot, a whole lot easier. I'm like, Oh, yeah, cut them off at the knees. You better not contest my will. Yeah. And then they have to do a cost benefit analysis to it too. Like, well, if I was going to get X amount, do I really want to fight and not receive that amount? You know, if I fail, because now, you know, this is going to happen. So they just take the dollar amount generally what they were going to get and just don't pursue it. That's the goal at least. Yeah, no, I can see that. Like I said, on in, in my business and sports and entertainment, these people got money. So they are willing to take the risk. They just they just want the things they want the access to the publishing, the music catalogs, those things, you know, that can be really expensive and, you know, very valuable. And so I've seen these things drag out for years um, for higher value estates. So listen, it can get ugly. Like I said, next time I have a client that asks me about a will, I'll be like, yeah, make sure you get that that no contest. But I'm happy you brought up intellectual property too, because when I was talking earlier about things that 
people might not think about when they're thinking about estate planning, intellectual property is one, trademarks, copyrights, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like we have covered a lot about wills. And I think one question that I always get a lot as an attorney, and I'm sure you do too, is what is a trust and do I need one? Do I need one instead of a will? Does it happen in the place of a will? Does it go in conjunction with the will? Like, what is it and kind of what is its place in the estate plan? So to answer the, one of the questions that you had about whether you need both, yes, if you have a trust, you would still want to have a will in place because if something is not what's called funded in your trust, meaning it's not put in the name of your trust, the will functions out as what's called a pour over will, or at least that's how it should be drafted generally, is that it's a pour over will, which means that the will's function is to give everything to your trust. So instead of you having like your brother or whoever named as your beneficiaries, the trust is named as the beneficiary so that if anything you had didn't get into the trust, it gets put into the trust through the probate process. um, And then everything is in there the way that you want it. So With trust, the way that you think about a trust, it's a it's different than a will in that number one, it's a private document. It doesn't get filed with the probate court at all. Um, it stays separate. So that's one thing you don't have to worry about, which is why some people will want it just for privacy. Like people who are wealthy will want it so that people don't know where they're giving all of their assets to, for example. Um, that's one reason. The other reason is that people can have more control after they pass. Now, there are different types of trust, many different types of trust, in fact. Um, There are revocable trust and irrevocable trust. I'm gonna talk mostly about revocable trust because people who are just getting started in estate planning really kind of focus on that more so than the irrevocable trust, just because they still have more control over whether they take things out, put things in. And even when someone has an irrevocable trust, they probably have that in addition to their revocable trust. So they might have two. So just to keep this not complicated, I'm gonna focus on you know a revocable living trust primarily. And so just so that we can keep things clean, a revocable living trust means that you can undo it, right? Yes. (laughs) And an irrevocable means once it's set, it's set and you cannot take it back. You cannot um, sometimes, but it is a very difficult process (laughs) um, to do that. So, you know, because... For irrevocable trust to quickly just touch on it for a minute. One of the reasons sometimes people will want an irrevocable trust is to get funds out of their estate because there's something called, there's estate taxes when someone passes away. Sometimes the state has one, your actual state, not all states, my my state does, Massachusetts. Um, But the federal level, at the federal level, there is an estate tax as well. It's pretty high. So most people don't touch it, but some people do. And then if your state has one, it's probably lower than the federal one. So they use irrevocable trust to get stuff out of their assets, out of their estate ahead of time to say, Hey, this is not a part of my estate. I've kind of gotten it out and it's separate, but in order for you to get that benefit, then you don't have as much control. And like, to your point, it's not something that you can easily undo. So that's one reason. There are other reasons for irrevocable trust, but that is one of the reasons why for some irrevocable trust, people will pursue that. Um, but gotcha. that's an aside. 
for the most part, when you're just getting started with estate planning, if you're getting a trust, you're probably going to have what's called a revocable living trust, even if you have the irrevocable. And revocable to your point, it can be amended, it can be discarded, you can decide that you don't want the trust anymore and undo it. Okay. Okay. All right. So so take us take us back to the top. Like what is a trust? And like why do we need one? So with a trust, it's pretty much an agreement. And so you as the person who's giving your things to the trust is, is putting this agreement in place and your trustee is going to carry out what your wishes are. If you have a revocable living trust, then you are probably going to be the person giving and the person who's a trustee while you're um, alive, while you're well. Um, that would be you, generally speaking, who would be in control of everything, right? So if in that case, the reason why people want it is to have more control over what it is that they are going to do with their assets or what it is that's going to happen with their assets when they pass away. For example, you can designate how someone can use the assets, when assets can be distributed. Um, as I've talked about, you can designate who's in control of the assets. A good example of this is someone who has a minor child. So minor children are not going to get assets outright if something happens to you. But if you put it in a trust and something happens to you, you can name who is your successor trustee. So who takes over after you? And that person now manages the assets for the benefit of the child mm. so that the child can get money for their education. So the child can get school clothes. So the child can you know, have housing, whatever it is that you might have in there. And then you might even have terms around what it is that you, how you want them to distribute it. So when you think about it, it's almost that control from the grave aspect that you can continue to control for a very long time. You can control if you were in this example of leaving into your children, where your children are able to give it to. So maybe your child's not, if your child passes away, they are not able to give it to a spouse but they're able to give it to one of their descendants or they're able to give it to a descendant or a charity, but you don't want it to go to a spouse because you don't know who their spouse might be in the future. I have mm. definitely had people say Ooh. that, like, oh, we Ooh. don't know, maybe Ooh. in the future, if I like them, if I'm still around and I like them, I might change this. But for right now, we're going to have no spouse. And then you can also designate, well, what happens if your child doesn't do their own estate plan? Where does it go? Where's the default? So you can name that as well. There's just so much more control that a trust allows, which is why some people will pursue a trust. Think about this in contrast to what I said about with a will. With a will, you're giving it outright. The individual's getting whatever you give outright and you have no control from the grave at that point. It's now theirs. They can do whatever they please with it. You know, in this case, your child can get married and give everything to their new spouse afterwards. And that would be in their right because it's their property. Whereas with the trust, you can say, oh no, <laughs> I don't want them <laughs> to be able to give it to their spouse. Obviously, if their spouse is in the house and you left the house, that's fine, right? But if something happens to them, maybe you don't want the spouse to own the house. You want it to go to your other child who might still be living at that time. And that is something that you're able to control from the grave within a trust. Oh, yes. When you described the you can control what happens to it, I immediately thought about power. I know y'all out there. 
Look, yes. I, yes, I know y'all been watching Ghost Book Two, and y'all been seeing how Tariq been struggling because his daddy put his inheritance in that trust till he graduated from college. So the money just sitting in the little treasure chest for Tariq. So he graduated. That's why he's going through all these hoops. Like, let me get in these accelerated classes so I can get through this and get my coin. And so that's what I thought about, girl. No, you're exactly right. Power is <laughs> one of the examples that I use a lot because I remember at the end of the old show, he was ready to get that money. He was like, yeah, I'm about to get this money. And they're like, nope, when you graduate, you will get the money. But for right now, you're not accessing this money. And it seems like the lawyer that they have in there is serving as a trustee because he contacts mm. Tariq and he's to the example, he's managing what's there for the benefit of the be- beneficiary, which is Tariq. And mm. so Tariq probably gets something because he has some good clothes on all the time <laughs> so, he probably, <laughs> so he probably gets a little coin here and there but he's not getting his inheritance outright until he completes what his father had in place for him because his father put everything in a trust before he passed away yeah and it also was taking care of jasmine the little the younger daughter yes. and helping to take care of her everyday living expenses and so that like that I feel like is the perfect example because everybody knows that they've been watching power and they've seen (laughs) how this has played out um and and it it functions just like that right like it's just sitting there the money sitting there until Tariq graduates now in that same example if Tariq never graduates is there the potential for that money to sit in trust forever? Or like, is there some way to release the money? Like what if Tariq dies and never gets the money? It just sits in trust forever. So to take a step back then, to your point about what happens if Tariq never graduates? Well, if you're drafting a trust, you should always put some type of fallback. So what does happen if he never graduates? And that's a conversation we would have with the client. If that's your condition, what if your child doesn't want to go to college? What if they're not interested? Can they do something else that you find acceptable? In this case, let's assume Ghost only says he has to finish college. If Tariq, you know, gets into some drama and, you know, (laughs) he, he, he passes away prematurely, then what is likely in the trust he passes away prematurely why you put that on that man (laughs) no i hope that doesn't happen i hope he changes his lifestyle and everything goes well for him but in case Tariq passes away prematurely then then what we would do is that hopefully the trust has some other type of thing that okay when Tariq passes away it then goes to this other person like his sister so Tariq passes away then 100% of whatever happens to be left over would go to Yasmin at that point and that's probably assuming we got to see James St. Patrick's trust that's probably what James St. Patrick's trust says is that Yasmin gets it if something happens to Tariq or if Tariq never graduates college we might say we might put some timeline around it so we might say Tariq has to graduate college within 10 years we give him from 18 to 28 to have graduated from college if Tariq doesn't graduate from college within 10 years then it goes to Yasmin so there's a number of different things we can do in the trust to make sure in a condition like that where it's hard to say because you know he could live to be 80 90 years old and never technically graduate from college do we want to put some time limits around when he needs to do that for the money or the other assets to then default to some other person, which in this case would probably be his little sister. Mm, 
Mm, I'm so mad at you for putting death on that man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but you know, his daddy wrote him that note for the grave. Like, I knew you would be here. Yes. Oh my gosh, clearly I'd be watching too much power. This has been so much fun. And so now that we've kind of reviewed the portions of an estate plan, how much can we expect to pay to get this done? And if we short on cash and we have to put some type of order of priority first, like if you only got enough for one first what should we be looking to do first and then maybe second third fourth fifth down the line so that we can prioritize based on where we're at right now financially in case we can't do it all at once so in terms of what you're going to pay it's going to vary it's going to depend sometimes on geographical location and some locations it's just going to be more because the market is more it's going to depend on what attorney you're working with, um, you know, where you're going. Are you going to a bigger firm? Are you going to a smaller firm? Are you working with someone who has many years of expertise or someone who's just new in this space? So the price can vary. I would say, though, you know, to at least expect maybe around a thousand if for the most basic, you know, kind of of a basic of a comprehensive plan to, you know, depending on how complicated it can be, it can be as much as you want it to be, depending on like, if you have multiple <laughs> trusts, you know, if for people who have businesses, we didn't get into this much, but if you have uh, limited liability companies or corporations and you're trying to put the ownership of different shares in there, or your attorney is addressing those things as well, then you're tacking on additional fees for handling some of your business properties as well. So that could be a bit much, um, at, not necessarily a ton, but it's still going to add up a bit. So, you know, I would say at least to expect to start at about a thousand um depending on you know if you're kind of younger having more basic plan and then it could just go upwards from there the thing that i would say though if you're getting like sticker shock well i don't i can't spend all that the best way to really find out is to have a consult with an attorney Uh, so definitely look for attorneys in your jurisdiction meaning in your state who might be able to help you have a consult you don't have to be tied down to actually getting estate planning services at this point you can just meet with them initially talk to them about what you need and then that's the best way for them to give you an estimate it would also be great to work with an attorney who focuses in this space a bit. So rather than you working with someone who might have a lot of different practice areas, maybe someone who does estate planning only or estate planning in addition to one or two, because they'll really be focused on this and give you more of the comprehensive planning that we were talking about Mm -hmm. um, and have that consult. And that would be the best person to tell you in your market and based upon what you need, what it is that you might have to pay for what you need. And again, you can also advocate for yourself if you feel like, okay, well, I do need these complicated things, but to your point, I don't have all the coins to do it right now. You can start at a more basic plan. Um, many attorneys charge flat fee for estate planning. So it's not an hourly where you're they're turning on the clock and they're just charging you every moment. They probably will give you some type of flat fee for estate planning. And they'll probably also work with you with a payment plan if needed too. Um, many attorneys like myself will offer that ability to split it, you know, if that is something that you need to do to make it affordable, because this is very important to actually doing, you know, your family 
could potentially have to pay way more or money gets lost out of your estate because there's a lot that's wrong in the future. And we're talking about making money moves and things. Part of making money moves is making sure that we actually properly plan for our loved ones if we're trying to really create this generational wealth so we're not losing assets the way that we're gaining. So we want to gain, but we don't want to necessarily lose in generational transfer. So we want to make sure that we're planning so this amount you're spending right now is can be worth it for long term, right? So you do, you might have to put up a little bit, but know that attorneys will often be flexible in terms of pay, how you structure your payments. And again, with flat fees. Now to your last point about, well, what can I do to get started if I'm just not going to do any estate planning at this point? Before you do estate planning, well, you can do estate planning immediately, but if you don't do it immediately, <laughs> then what you can do is start to organize your assets, create a list of all the assets that you have and figure and document it. I actually have an asset organizer on my website. So if you go to barbielawonline.com slash resources, there is an asset organizer there, or you can create your own, but essentially there's different categories like real estate properties, cash, intellectual property, that sort of a thing. And you document it all. The reason being, if something happens to you, your family is scrambling. They're probably looking through drawers. They're looking through files. They're trying to figure out what it is that you have and they can miss things that you might have. You might have a life insurance policy that no one knows about. You might have a bank account that no one knows about. And these are resources out there that could be helping your family, helping your loved ones. And no one knows about it because they can't find it. So what you can do at a basic level, even without an estate plan, without spending a dollar on an attorney is to organize your assets for your family and let someone know where they can find that in the case of an emergency or give someone who you trust access to it if you feel that comfortable with it so that they can know all of your assets in advance and have that documented. That would be one thing. The other thing that some people can do is um, to designate someone who will receive the assets upon death for their bank accounts, for example, they can put a beneficiary on their bank account to say, hey, if I pass away, this person automatically receives what I have in here. Just remember that it's theirs. So there's no controlling from the grave. There's no James St. Patrick here. They will get that <laughs> the coins and that'll be what it is. So in certain cases, like with bank accounts, you can make that happen in advance, even without estate planning. But remember what I'm talking about does not reflect incapacity planning. And when we're in a global pandemic, I do think that it is important to also do incapacity planning so that if something happens to you where you're actually alive, that things are running smoothly because we want you to recover and we don't want you to recover into chaos when that happens. Absolutely. Well, this is so fantastic. You answered all the rest of my questions. You gave us tools and resources. <laughs> you told us what we can do if we don't want to, or we cannot afford to do any estate planning. So you pretty much wrapped up the rest of the episode. Thank you, girl. <laughs> Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> well, what we didn't hear from you is if we want to work with you, how do we find you? How do we get in touch with you? Should we? And then like, what state are you in? Can I, can I work with you if I'm not in your state or only the people in the state? So the best way to contact me is at my website, barbielawonline.com. And Barbie's not spelled like the doll. It's two E's at the end. Um, also Barbie Law on social media, if you want to follow there. Uh, in terms of where I'm licensed, I'm licensed in Massachusetts and Connecticut. However, I do have networks of attorneys across the, across the country who I know. So if you're wondering, hey, 
I need to find an attorney. I have no idea who's here in my state. Feel free to reach out. Um, my email address is right on the website. And if I know someone, I'll let you know who you might be able to go to, to be able to assist you because it's so important. Even if I'm not able to help you, I definitely want to make sure that you're able to get help. Wonderful. And we can use your resources, your checklist. We can use that no matter where we are, right? Yeah. So you can use that no matter where you are. Again, uh, those things will be kind of general, so it won't be specific to your state, but you can definitely use them in the asset organizer. It doesn't matter where you are. You need to organize your assets for sure. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, this was so much good information. Thank you so much for joining me today. So before we let you go, I have to do our sugar-free quickies. Okay, let's do it. Yes. (laughs) So our sugar-free quickies is a series of either or questions and you cannot pick none and you cannot pick both. You got to pick either or. Oh, goodness. Okay. Yay. Okay. So if you had the choice between your parents willing you cash or house, what would you prefer? Oh my goodness. Well, there's never going to be more real estate. You know, the land that we have is the land that we have. We can't create any more. If anything is going underwater, but uh, I'm a cash girl. So if it's more than the house, I'm taking the cash. (laughs) Yeah, take the money, take the money. Yeah, take the money because I can buy another house. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Okay, okay. You can only eat one style of cuisine for the rest of your life. Italian or Chinese? I'm going with Italian. I love my Italian food. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you, girl. I feel you, girl. But Italian can be a little heavy sometimes. Gotta work it off. <laughs> All right, a few more. Bright red lip or nude gloss? Definitely nude gloss because you can switch that up with any type of lip liner. So you can get different <laughs> colors of lip liner, switch up your look with just the same gloss. So I'm a nude lip gloss girl, particularly Fenty. I love how you finesse that right into a whole other answer. <laughs> okay, okay. So if you had to pick one perpetual season, For the rest of your life, like it's going to be this season forever, would you rather have spring or winter? Oh, spring or winter? Um, That's a hard one. I'm going to go with (laughs) spring, even if I'm sneezing and all that. I'm going to go with spring just because, you know, it's something about the renewal. It's something about the energy around springtime that I love. So I'll go with that. But I love my snow because I'm from New England. So I love my snow. but I'm going to go with spring. (laughs) I feel you. So last one, passion or money? Definitely passion because, you know, the money is good, but it's not the end all be all. And if it's hard to wake up, you're not going to want to do it. So I have to have the passion and the passion will make the money. I feel, I feel like I'm the only person that's ever picked money. Girl, yes. I'm real passionate about that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again for joining us for another fantastic episode. I know that we're young. Some of us are unmarried. Some of us don't have children. Some of us don't have assets. But look, if we only got $20 in our pockets, we need to designate where that $20 goes. If we only got a dog, 
We need to say who gets him. You know, you don't want your mama to get that dog. You know, she ain't taking care of him. Right. So we need <laughs> to get our estate plans in place so that we can make sure that when we pass, whatever we have goes to where it needs to go. Right. So thank you guys again for tuning in. Make sure you check back in next week for another great episode, plenty of real talk. And of course, more of the most exquisite tea. That's 100% sugar-free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends, and be sure to keep the tea party going, a with plenty of tea that's 100% sugar free. Meet small business owner, Mackenzie Nicole. Mackenzie's business is growing and she needs forms and templates to legally protect her business from clients, partners, and employees. But she's low on cash and needs to find forms and templates that are legally binding and comprehensive, yet affordable. Not knowing where to find such forms and templates, Mackenzie was stressed until she found Formally Forms, the one-stop DIY legal shop for small business owners, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs. All Formally Forms are affordable, easy to use, and expertly drafted by a licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So what are you waiting for? Be like Mackenzie and get your Formally Form or template today.